Welcome to the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast with Philip Washington Jr. Today, Philip talks about index investing is dead. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, we are back with another episode of Wealth Building Made Simple. And today we are talking about the fact that index investing is dead. Yes, I said that correctly. Index investing is dead. It's actually been dead for a while. Just different different amounts of us are waking up to that fact. I being a, uh, you know, uh, uh, Another person who, I guess, is still earlier than a lot, but uh, but you know, is uh, was a big believer until a few years ago uh, of of that of the fact that index investing was still alive and the best thing since sliced bread. And to be clear, I still use ETFs or exchange traded index funds, so I'm not saying like the actual funds are not good. I'm saying index investing is a model of saying, oh, let me just buy the S&P 500. Let me just buy what worked over the last 50 years and buy it at a low cost because it should work over the next 50 years, right? Now that, you know, now that uh, if you've been listening to my content for a while, you might say, oh, Philip, how'd you, you know, I'm shocked that you ever believed that. I'm like, well, now you're seeing what my content reflects the evolution of my uh, of my thinking, meaning like the you know like in any aspect of life, if we look in the past and and extrapolate to the future, that's a sure way to like not fully realize uh, your potential. And so, index investing is the same way. In, index investing just packages up old ideas and allows the masses to invest in them cheaply, right? Specifically. The idea that made it prevalent, and I use the S&P 500, was the S&P 500, for the most part, represents, if you look at most of the stocks, represents um, the economy of the U.S. over the last 50 years. You know, Dow is maybe, goes back 100 or so years, but those indexes represent moments in time, right? Companies that were moments in time and that were, uh, from past performance, the dominant leader. That's why. That's why when they do all these back tests, they go, "Oh yeah, if you bought the S and P five hundred fifty years ago, you would have done well." But when you actually started those, a lot of those indexing, um, you know, those companies were not large enough to be included uh, uh, in the index, right? And they also neglect out the people that were investing in the forward thinking technologies, bringing the world into the future that eventually made it into the index because it got big enough, right? And so there's a lot of you know, if you, if you read a book called, uh, I forget what it's called, it's about statistics and, and how to lie with, oh, how to lie with statistics, right? Um, you understand and that statistics are like not really relevant or as relevant as we believe them to be because they can be made to draw conclusions that are just not real. Even if only most of them are doing it not on purpose, right? I mean, they, you know, they... They do it on accident because all statistics can do 
is like give you a average of the past, right? And I can't think of anybody who who can look at themselves and say, oh, you know what? Like the best decisions in my life were, or most people look at the best decisions in their lives and go, the best decisions of my life were like when the odds seemed against me, right? Meaning if I were to assess the odds of my success, if I were uh, to, to, to do statistics to figure out if I should take this path that led me to this place that I feel great about, you wouldn't have done it if you looked at stats. <laughs> you know, stats are, stats are like the safe decision. Stats are what causes us to compare ourselves to other people, right, and, and diminish our value. Um, and so I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying stats are not important, right? I'm sure they have a, a use case. Uh, but what I'm saying is like, Making investment decisions based on past performance is literally what's put in all of our, <laughs> you know, all of our marketing material, right? Do not invest based on past performance, blah, 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 blah. But we built this philosophical ideal around investing and a lot of us bought into it about index investing uh, is the way of the future. Now, let me go a little deeper on it. What is active? So what is active investing? Active investing is paying attention to the eternally moving flow of wealth that's going around the world. I mean, that's, that is active investing at its core. And so it requires an understanding of the, the, the core seasonal mindsets of investors, right? Seasonal, seasonal being like generational mindsets around investing. And generational is not, and it doesn't have to be uh, age appropriate or age specific but here's where stats come in right from a from a if you look at stats then you say yeah on average this age of investor invests this way on average this age does this way on average right so so the averages can kind of give you an average of what each how each generation thinks about investing but any individual at any age range can invest the way they want to right depending on like you know their uh their their belief in the in the uh, statistical thinking. So here are the four seasonal mindsets of investors, and I'm going to kind of relay out um, what investments they're likely going to be attracted to over the next decade or two, given where I see the world in the current moment, which will be helpful. So you you, you have income-focused investors or investors who are looking to just preserve capital. Uh, you have growth and income investors. We might call those balanced investors. You have growth investors, right? Those are the adolescents of the of the of the investing world. Um, and then you got suckers. They're like immature and just immature. Yeah. So let's say it, say it, say it a different way. The retirees, the the wealth generators, the the balanced individuals, uh, investors of the marketplace the adolescents that are bringing the new ideas and the new energy to the marketplace. And then, you know, um, uh, the, the immature investors, right? I wrote down suckers, but that, that just seemed rude. Uh, uh, but sucker, I, I like the word suckers because they end up getting their money sucked away from them because they, their mindset is not, uh, is in, it's inversely attractive to wealth, right? Meaning like, Wealth gets sucked sucked from them because they have the wrong mindset. So, um, and and the reasons that happens to suckers is because they they believe the past will repeat in the future, or they are impatiently running into the future without awareness. So these are like 
this is fear and greed, right? Expressed, right? People who are fearful are going, I'm just going to do what's safe, right? Whether it's cash, bonds, index, invest, all of your money. Uh, or it's, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to run and put my money into like things that are promising me get rich quick ideas, right? So that's the immature mindset of investors. And so like, let's go over income focused investors, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a long example of this one because the other ones are relatively simple, but this is a big, uh, investment opportunity from my, from my perspective for income investors in the new world that we live in, because there's always a wise investment at any time frame, you just got to adjust your perspective to to the current world. So income investors, you know, let, and I'm going to give an, uh, an idea. So let's say, and this is important for Americans to understand um, because it applies to Americans, but it also applies to all the wealth outside of America. So let's say I'm a, I'm a wealthy St. Lucian family, right? I'm using St. Lucian because I love that place. It was great. Um, low cost of living. But let's say I'm a wealthy St. Lucian family and I and I have the equivalent of $10 million worth of wealth um, available to me. And, and what I want, and if you, and if you, if, if for my $10 million, I can generate $240,000 a year, US dollar, uh, adjusted money in St. Lucia, uh, that's the equivalent of like the 1% in America. It's equivalent to like four or $500,000 a year here, which, which is how you would live there on paradise. And so, so you go, okay. Um, and I explained in the previous episode that the finance, the, the U.S. financial system is the envy of the world because everything trades in dollars and our rule of law, military, economic situation is uh, the envy. All Most other countries, their financial system is way less stable. So some, a, a wealthy family is not going not to want to buy the bonds or put money in the banks of, of their, uh, country because it's less stable like if they're gonna if they're not gonna be in crypto because they're an income focused investor they're gonna want it in the u.s financial system and the problem is it's hard to get in because again the u.s banks are not lending money to other countries and putting dollars in there like i mentioned in a previous episode and and the government's not going to just print money and give it to other countries because that's going to cause inflation for their citizens and it creates a problem so they're like well how do we get dollars well we got to buy american assets well that's tough too uh, unless you're a U.S. citizen, and that's gotten tougher as well. So, insert right. Insert. And I read. The, I read. I read a pretty cool uh, article about these developers who they uh, bought a two hundred thousand dollar home. They uh, they then tokenized it on the Ethereum blockchain. And then created an NFT that took the ownership, broke it up into shares, and sold it to about six or seven hundred uh, investors. Right, which that was a game changer because basically now anybody that interacts with that blockchain, which Ethereum is, you know, and that NFT is like global, right? They can now own a U.S. asset that generates U.S. dollars, right? Because they, can, I'm sure, they're going to rent it out. And in in a two hundred thousand dollar home, without boring you with math nerd stuff, after taxes and everything, and I'm I'm speaking about Texas taxes, you could probably generate about nine percent a year uh, yield if it's if it's all cash, which is phenomenal, right? Uh, so you're in a U.S. system, you get nine percent yield. Let's say even if you after they pay f- management fees for uh, managing a property and all kind of stuff, let's say seven percent. But if you're getting seven percent. 
on 200 grand, 14 grand a year cash, U.S. cash coming your way. Here's where I'm going with it. So, so, so you, you, you go to the uh, wealthy families and they are becoming aware of this. They're like, yes, I am going to buy these tokenized versions of U.S. R- real estate because it's like real estate's like a bond. You know what I mean? Like, like before bonds, rich people that were in the income, uh, uh, income focused investor stage, like bought real estate, right? Then they started buying bonds. Now they're going to go back to buy real estate because the bonds are are, are uh, shaky. But that's a that is going to be a so you can buy real estate that way. If you're in the U.S., you can just buy real estate outright. But if you're a non-U.S. citizen, uh, tokenizing real estate properties on the blockchain to fill in the gap in lending for the residential market uh, is going to be huge business over the next decade and a great source of yield for income-focused investors. Second, the second, third is easier. Growth and income section. That This is why you see Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett uh, buying Apple, uh, IBM, right? Because, and specifically, you know, uh, I call it big tech companies with monopolies, right? Company, this is the Apple, Google, Tesla, Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, NVIDIA, uh, ARC funds, right? These are the, these are companies or assets or shares that are large enough to take a lot of money, uh, but but they're not like growth only, right? They're actually, they're growing at a higher rate than normal, but they're generating tons of cash and they got a monopoly. So that's like a, a, a balanced business, right? From, from an investment standpoint, because those companies, nobody can foresee them going away because they're staples of like the society we live in. Um, so that's a growth and in income investors focus. And if you look at the S&P 500, those components in the S&P 500 are driving like the vast majority of the return, right? I don't want to give a percentage because I'm probably going to be slightly off, but it's a huge, like a major, a major, if, if they were not in the index, the index would have been losing money, right? So that's, that's, um, those are the companies that that generation has big opportunities in and will probably continue to put money into. Then you got growth, which is crypto VC, right? The, the adolescence of the world, that's obvious. And then suckers, again, I mentioned those are the ones that 100% index cash bonds, right? It's, it's similar to like in, if you go back to the early 1900s and you, and you read newspaper articles or you read books on the early American financing, you had a lot of where you get the, 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 the myth of the British looking down on Americans, right? That, that came from like British wealthy going, I'm not going to transfer my assets to this new America wild, wild west system. That's beneath me. I'm a gentleman. Well, the unsophisticated investors that took their assets and converted them to America became way more rich relative to UK citizens over the last hundred years because they did that. Look at the same mindset. What do the rich Americans look at the crypto folks? These wildcatters, right? We need to, we need to adult them. We need to police them and tell them what to do. And they're going, stay, uh, have fun being poor. Literally, that's the saying. Have fun being poor, because. This plays out over and over and over again, every generation. Um, and so uh, I hope this perspective helps you. These are actually like, from my perspective, good ideas for each objective, or at least for three objectives of, 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 of investing, right? If you're an income investor, real estate's probably going to be extremely attractive on the blockchain or off, depending on how you can get it, or both. Uh, then you have growth and in income, Right, and then you have the the growth only 
opportunities. Um, and um, yeah, just and don't be a sucker. Like don't 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 stay stuck in the past, right? In the Bible, uh, uh, who was that? It was, they they went into a town, Lot, and he had a wife. And the prophet said, "Hey, look, when you go do what you're gonna do in this town, but when you leave, don't look back because you're gonna turn into a pillar of salt." And so when they were leaving out the town, Lot's wife didn't listen. A wife represents emotions, right? What? Uh, their emotions turned back, looked at the town, and she turned into a pillar of salt, which salt is a preservative, right? Salt preserves something, right? So it meant she went to this town, and the town wasn't great. The town was a terrible experience. And so she preserved that terrible experience in her, in her mind, and it froze her. It locked her up. It traumatized her. That's what trauma is, right? So don't, don't look at the past economy and turn into a pillar of salt or turn your money into a pillar of salt, because that's not how you make money. Hope this helps. Until next week, enjoy your day. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to stonehillwealthmanagement.com forward slash talk. That's stonehillwealthmanagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.